Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So here are these shepherds out in the field, quiet night, and all of a sudden an angel shows up, and this is what the angel says, that he's bringing, he says, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. That word, that phrase, euangelion in the Greek, is where, is is exactly how it's translated, it is good news, this proclamation that something good has finally come, which makes you kind of wonder, What sort of good news would this have been to a bunch of shepherds? What kind of good news would this have been for the rest of the world? And is that still good news for us today? This euangelion, this proclamation of the good news. And and also, if there is this real good news, could there also be counterfeit good news? Could there be a hollow version of those things. Our friends Isaac and Emily just moved here from New York City in August and they are now on staff at our church and are helping lead the arts and the worship in our downtown community and have become dear friends of ours but their time coming over here hit some pretty um, intense turbulence when while they're trying to look for a house to live in in San Diego with their three young boys uh, they found a house that looked great for them and Uh, sent it to us. We looked at it, ended up having, they had communications with the realtor and went through it. And as soon as they sent over not only the first month's rent, but the deposit as well, all of a sudden they got a notification from their bank. And what they, all of us were shocked to find out is it was a scam. And in a second, everything changed in their hearts and their demeanor because of the level of um, just being taken advantage of that just came upon them. Their security um, was robbed. Their identity was robbed. Um, Their inheritance, what they were saving up for their boys for college and things like that was robbed. I mean, this radical punch in the gut. And immediately they got on the phone with their bank who then hired a a detective, an investigator to try and recover these funds. And in the meantime, they just waited. 
and this this horrible gut-wrenching feeling of just being promised something good and then it not being true was something that uh, was really difficult to journey with them in was watching that loss of security that loss of identity that loss of inheritance and I think that is exactly what the enemy tries to do is it tries to pitch us a version of good news a level of security, a promise of identity, something of an inheritance. And yet when we invest into that thing and give over our lives into that good news, it actually ends up robbing us. And so for the angel to show up, the shepherds, along with the people of God, the Israelite nation, had been radically disappointed by different versions of good news that would have come. Let me give you a little bit of some context here of what I'm talking about. So this word, good news, also translated gospel, where we get our word evangelist from, uh, was not made up within kind of Christian literature, even Jewish literature. It was actually a military word that was used when Rome was expanding their kingdom by force. What they would do is they would send a messenger out in front of the military to announce to the town the good news that they were now under Roman rule. And they, Rome was famous for this ideal called Pax Romana, this Roman peace that if you do what we say, we'll protect you. And if you don't, then we will squash you. And this is how they ran the world. And if you did what Rome said and you paid the 80% in taxes and you pledged allegiance to Caesar and worshipped him and him alone, then you would be fine. And Israel is now living in the wake of that false good news. They heard that proclamation that a new king was in town, which really sets up this different alternative sort of narrative of what good news was actually being proclaimed to them as people who were largely oppressed. In their specific region, just south of Jerusalem, their governor was a guy by the name of Herod. Herod was a half-Jew, and Caesar thought that it was going to be a good idea to put Herod in there because he'd win the favor of the Jews, but the Jewish people did not want Herod because he wasn't fully Jewish to be their king. And after a lot of political drama and bloodshed, Herod decided to make a peace agreement with the, the Hebrew people and he built them this extravagant, beautiful temple which ended up subsiding their anger against him. And so they're right in the middle of this very strange world that has promised military and political and religious peace and prosperity and inheritance and yet they found themselves just with a deep sense of longing. They were promised counterfeit gospels, false and hollow good news. And yet an angel shows up and says, I have good news. That word is a reference point to a prophecy in Isaiah that says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim, here it is, good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to stop right there because 
Actually, Jesus stops right here when he's quoting this in his first sermon, given if you just turn two pages over in Luke chapter 4, that phrase comes up again where Jesus, as he's in Nazareth at the synagogue, begins to preach this message of this good news that was prophesied that would come through a Messiah 500 years before, that the angel prophesied 30 years before at his birth. And he, as he reads this, he sits down and he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, meaning everything that you have been longing for and hoping for, this good news has now arrived in me. But here's what's fascinating. That prophecy goes on. And so if Jesus were to keep reading it, it would sound something like this. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So the question is, why didn't Jesus finish out the section? And many theologians believe that the first section that Jesus read in Luke 4 talks about the first advent, him coming. But the day of the Lord's vengeance, where he comes and he proclaims judgment on all darkness and oppression and sin, which then brings about joy instead of mourning, beauty instead of ashes, a garment of praise instead of despair, that that is actually talking about the second advent, his second coming. I wonder if in some way when Jesus returns, the second portion of Isaiah 61 will be read because that's what's coming. And so we live in between the first and the second advent of Jesus coming to proclaim this good news, right? It's coming and then the restoration. Um, we got a phone call this week from Isaac and Emily that they got a phone call from their investigator with, guess what, good news. And he calls them and says, normally I don't make personal phone calls, but I have some good news for you. Every single penny has been recovered. And the thousands of dollars that had been caught up and lost and robbed from them was restored. And in the same way, they waited for the, in, in hope for the, the good news to come. We now live in between these two advents that Jesus came and said, I've come to bring this good news to you. And we wait for that promise to hit our account, if you will. We wait for that day. But here's the good news about Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 2 and Isaiah 61 is as faithful as Jesus was to come and fulfill the first half of Isaiah 61, is as faithful as Jesus is going to be to come fulfill the second half of Isaiah 61. And so we need to ask ourselves, do we sense the depth of this good news or have we grown asleep to it? This week I was in Mexico visiting Ciudad de Dios with Pastor Gustavo and the refugee shelter. And while I was there and seeing the incredible work that is going on, largely in, in partnership with many of you who have continued to give and to go and to serve that community, I was blown away by one in particular instance. There was a couple that Pastor Gustavo was pointed out to me that walked by us, and I noticed that the man was carrying a large stick that he was using to guide himself and realized that, oh, he's probably blind. And then I realized that his wife was also carrying a stick. And as they sat down, a 
30, 40 yards from us, past Gustavo points them out. He says, do you see that couple? He says, they, they came here about a month ago. They traveled, they're both blind. Husband and wife, they have a 16-year-old daughter with special needs. Traveled from El Salvador, mostly by foot and by bus, all the way up to Tijuana in hopes to get to America for medical care for them and for their daughter. And while they're at the border, they were begging for money and someone came along and stole all of the money that they had. And so they went to the police to tell them what had happened. And after they got done reporting to the police, the people that had robbed their money came to them and said, because of what you've done in reporting us, we're now going to take your life. And not knowing what to do, they returned to the police with the fear of their life, who the police then um, connected them with Pastor Gustavo. So Pastor Gustavo goes to find them, meets them at the city center, and he said he's driving around for one hour, then two hours, and three hours, and he's on the phone and saying, like, just take a picture of where you are, and then I'll come find you. He says, it wasn't until I picked them up that I realized that they were both blind. And once he picked them up, he brought them back to the camp. And he, and he says, watch how they walk. And they're walking on the camp like they knew the place. And they're so, so comfortable. But this is the part that really stood out to me. Is it wasn't just the heartbreaking story that they were in. But it was actually the opposite thing that I would have expected. Is he says, the husband, he's like, he has not stopped smiling since the moment I met him. And sure enough, on his face bore one of the most genuine joy-filled expressions that for the entire time I was at the shelter, I never saw leave his face. A man without sight, without a home, without resource, is yet filled with this joy. And it was this testament to me of someone who actually has accessed what it means to live in between the first and second advent. That nothing, no circumstance in his life was robbing him from the joy that he was walking around with. Which made me begin to start thinking about, not only did the shepherds and ancient Israel have counterfeit gospels, maybe we do too. Maybe we've been blinded by promises of things that will bring us salvation and bring us happiness and bring us fulfillment. And all in all, they're not necessarily even bad things. Many of them might even be great things, yet they are not God things. They are not functioning, or we're not designed to function as our ultimate source of salvation. Things like the gospel of health and wellness, which is alive and well here on the coast in San Diego. This idea that if I eat clean enough, if I work out enough, if I avoid enough uh, bad foods and chemicals and somehow I will avoid the brokenness and the hardship of life. Maybe for us it's the gospel of career and success that if I work hard enough and climb high enough on the corporate ladder, ladder and if I invest early enough into the right tech company or whatever, maybe then I will be able to provide the sense of salvation I'm longing for. Maybe it's a gospel of romantic love that maybe if I just met the right person or if my spouse was like this or if I had this kind of relationship, then I would have the salvation my heart is looking for. Maybe it's the gospel of therapy that if I just could have enough things sorted out and figured out and the right techniques, then I could finally have the peace that I want. Maybe it's the gospel of family that 
if I just had the right family dynamics, then everything would be at peace and I would be well and I would be happy. It was the gospel of intellect. If I, if I just had enough education or enough degrees, enough letters behind my name, then I would be able to, to find that sense of salvation. Or the gospel of a thrill. Of like, if I just go on a, another trip or catch a, a little bit of a bigger wave or a longer barrel or climb a more prestigious mountain. Or, you get the point. We have been sold different versions of gospels our whole life that will provide for us what God can only do. And as we live between the first and the second advent, my prayer for me personally this week is that whatever that man possessed in Tijuana, that it would be something that I would be able to possess that's not based on circumstances, obviously, but it's something much, much deeper that only is provided by Jesus. It's something that would come and it would disrupt it. Because here's the thing that I've been wrestling with this week as we've been working on this sermon with our pastoral team is, do I really believe this is good news? I mean, do, do for my life, for our city, for the world, when I'm at a restaurant, when I'm on a run, when I see people picking up my kids from school, do I look around and do I really believe Jesus is the gospel? He is the one who has come to bring good news. And if it's good news, really, truly good news, do I live in response to that? I think about Will Ferrell's uh, character in Elf, right? When he runs into the room and does a twirl and throws his hat and he just famously says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. It's this sense of, of, of reckless abandon as a response to finding love. And we have access to a more true version of that than anything the world could ever offer. So why is it that if we believe we have access to the true good news that Jesus has come to bring, to right every wrong, to give beauty instead of ashes, good news for the poor, release a prisoner um, for those who are oppressed, why don't we talk about it? Why, I mean, why don't I talk about it? I just wrote down just a few things, of maybe why. Number one is, it's probably cultural. We live because of kind of the, the dominant Western secular narrative that one of the things that we have been grown up in is that your religion and your faith is something that you're allowed to have and really can be whatever you want as long as it's private. And the minute it becomes private, it becomes a, or public, it becomes offensive if you talk about it. And we have created this very high value as a culture to not offend people. So much so that the deep love that we have in Jesus is something that we feel like would actually do more harm than good. Maybe it's it's culture, but maybe it's spiritual. Maybe some of us have just grown tired. So with Jesus, when he addresses the church in Revelation, just talks about that you can't go tired. You have to return to your first love. You You have to wake up. You have to stay awake. Or the enemy coming and trying to convince us that the good news we have is really just one of many good news that the world has to offer. Maybe for us it's intellectual. Maybe like we would love to share about the good news of Jesus. We just actually don't feel comfortable enough sharing it because we don't know enough. I don't know as much as like Benji or Stevie or 
you know, Emily, you're right. You know, I don't know, like, if I have the right answers. And so we kind of justify us not talking about it because we don't feel comfortable with it. And I'm reminded of a story in the Gospels when Jesus heals a blind man and he's in the temple. They're like, they're just grilling him and asking these questions. And I love his response. He's like, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now that I see. Can I tell you something? You don't need to know all the answers. I'm just curious, were you blind and has Jesus made you see? And that's, that's some really strong good news that the world is desperately in need of. And so don't feel like you need to over-intellectualize it or somehow have some quota of answers ready for you when it's just good news. Lastly, maybe it's, it's just personal. Has it been good news for us? Or have we been subsidizing the gospel with other counterfeit versions of the gospel that is just one of many things that provide good news for us? And so for me this week, I have been just praying passionately just to say, Jesus, would you help me realize just the magnitude of how much I need you? of how much I would not have if you did not come and you were not coming again. I think too small about the gospel. So maybe personally, our prayer is not for better techniques or strategy or like I heard a sermon that twists our arm. Yeah, yeah, I guess we should talk about the gospel more, good news more. But I, I think that if it truly becomes good news for our lives, it will be a natural byproduct for our language and our life to be a response to that. I'm just praying that this would be a, a Christmas awakening, that we'd move away just from the, the nostalgia of Christmas and we'd actually welcome the interruption of Christmas to our life, to remember what the angel told the shepherds, that I bring you tidings of good news, bring great joy for all people. So let me just pray for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that our inheritance and our security and our identity have been under attack by the enemy. Many of those things have been robbed. Yet, Lord, you came to set us right. And that Christmas is the phone call that says that you have come to restore every last bit. Lord, I pray that the same joy I heard on Isaac and Emily's voice when they called to tell us the good news, I pray that that would burn in my soul as a response to the reality that you've come to do the same thing for me. And that, Lord, that the, the lesson I learned from watching my friend from El Salvador this week, Lord Jesus, who would say life has completely robbed him of anything that causes joy, yet present in him, is a deep sense of awareness of you and your presence and your good news. I pray for that. Would it burn in my heart? Lord, for everyone who's watching this, Lord Jesus, would you wake us up? Would you embolden us? Lord, I pray that we would not be silent. Lord Jesus, that we would not be so concerned about not hurting someone's feeling or offending someone that we never share the best news that we have. So Lord, would you come? Move us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one practical thing I would encourage you is um, if you're just like, you don't know where to start, can I just say, invite someone to the Christmas Eve Eve service. Let's call it a Christmas concert. Um, it's such an easy thing to say. The, honestly, the whole night's going to pretty much be music. It's going to be amazing. Um, but just take baby steps. Just say like, hey, I, 
You know, like, hey, would you want to come to this Christmas concert with me? And just find different ways just to begin start sharing that. And even if it's not inviting someone to an event, maybe just try and make a commitment like, okay, once a week or once a month, I want to work Jesus into my conversations. Not as, again, like some sort of tactic, but rather just say, no, this really is the best news I've ever heard. So I just want to encourage you with that. I'm going to hope to see you guys this week. We love you very much. We're praying for you. And if we don't see you before the new year, may God bless the end of this year and the beginning of the next. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.